Crest in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta, and I am delighted to have you with me. We're talking about the things that matter most. Dr. Matthew Bunsen, my guest, as we really travel all over the globe looking for stories of interest to uh, those who possess Catholic faith and those of us who are interested in the Catholic Church uh, as an institution. Um, that's, I think of the Church in two ways. Think of it as a communion, right? Uh, but it's also an institution. And if we don't take seriously the institutional dimension of the Church, um, <laughs> we're going to miss a lot. Uh, I've been reading the second volume of Peter Sewell's biography of Benedict XVI. And time and again, as he's forced to deal with terrible scandal and corruption, he keeps reminding himself that um, when the nets are thrown out uh, and to bring fish in, that it picks up good fish and bad fish. And this is very true. Uh, we learn that the weeds grow up with the wheat, and um, that will be the way it is until Christ returns and the angels um, do the, the sorting out that we hear about in Scripture. So we're going to talk about some stories. Uh, we'll hear about saints. We'll hear about the catacombs in Rome. We'll hear about Polycarp. But we'll also hear about uh, stories about an Australian bishop emeritus who, at 74, is finally being forced to deal with his uh, background of uh, debauchery. And we'll also talk about Mexican bishops who had to meet with members of organized crime recently because the civil authorities uh, no longer possess control in the Mexican province of uh, Guerrero. So, uh, we've got a lot coming up this hour, and that's just a taste of what we're going to be talking about on this Feast of St. Polycarp. First, though, let's get the headlines. Thanks, Al. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News for Friday, February 23rd. It's the Feast of St. Polycarp. Today's news is brought to you by Visiting Angels, providing loving care and assistance for seniors in need at visitingangels.com. Deputies' body cameras captured the moment they found two very young children abandoned in a car that had been left in the remote area of Southern Oregon. Sheriff's Office, if anybody's in the vehicle, show yourself now! Sheriff's Office, I can hear kids crying. When they opened the doors, they found two children ages six months and a year and a half still buckled into their seats. They were allegedly abandoned by 24-year-old Justin Trompeter after a domestic assault nine days earlier. Deputies say the kids were in relatively good condition. Trumpeter remains on the run. President Biden is opposing more than 500 new sanctions on Russia in response to the death of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny and Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. Make no mistake, Putin is responsible for Alexei's death. Yesterday, I met with Alexei's wife and daughter in California, where his daughter attends college. 
Alexei was an incredibly courageous man. Biden called on the House to pass a $95 billion Senate-approved foreign aid package that includes critical military aid for Ukraine. Pope Francis has created a new diocese in the western African country of Guinea. The Diocese of Bouquet will serve as a population of a little over 1 million people, of whom about 10,000 are Catholic. There have been multiple initiatives undertaken in Bouquet to promote religious dialogue in the predominantly Muslim country. Alabama's attorney general says he has no intention of prosecuting IVF families or providers. The AG making the comments after the state Supreme Court ruled frozen embryos are children. This all comes after fertility clinics in Alabama halted certain IVF treatment programs due to concerns that medical personnel could be at risk legally. From your Alvin Maria Radio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. And uh, on this Friday, we are taking time to look at stories that uh, have circulated this week, stories from around the world having to do with the Catholic faith and with the Catholic Church uh, as an institution. And with us right now to guide us through all these conversations is Dr. Matthew Bunsen. He's vice president and editorial director of EWTN News and a senior fellow at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. He's authored, co-authored, or edited more than 50 books, including the first English-language biography of Pope Francis. And you can hear him uh, on Register Radio Saturdays at 4 p.m. and Sundays at 11 a.m. Uh, you can also follow him on Twitter at Matt Bunsen, M-A-T-T. Well, Matthew, good to have you here again. Thanks. A, a privilege, as always. Let's... Let's pick up that conversation we had earlier this week about the German bishops. Yes. And if, and it, we, if we know anything more, uh, we understand that the German bishops decided to avoid taking a vote which had to do with a new governing structure for the church in Germany. They decided not to go with the vote. Anything more we can say about it? Well, yeah, the uh, one of the things that uh, we're seeing unfolding, uh, and I'm glad that we're continuing this conversation because I think uh, we're going to see this play out in stages, let's put it that way, okay. is that uh, one of the most important small groups in Germany, in my view, the, it's called Neuer Anfang, which is a German for a new beginning, which is a, a group that's been pretty critical throughout of the whole synodal way. Uh, reiterated just a few days ago uh, in an open letter uh, calling on the bishops to, as they put it, accept that the very foundation of the Synodal Way's controversial demands are based, uh, they're, they're made of sand. And yeah. I think that's worth stressing here because there's this overall assumption, sometimes portrayed especially in progressive Catholic media, that the average German Catholic or all German Catholics are somehow wildly in support of everything that the Synodal Way is doing. Yeah. And I think that the what we have seen playing out with the German bishops over the last days is they uh, heeded the Vatican and chose, in fact, not to uh, proceed with, uh, at least for the moment, this vote to establish a synodal council. I think that's it's worth noting that there is significant pushback against this Good. Uh, in Germany. And I think uh, we can't underestimate 
the the significance of that, and to be honest, the the, the heroism of uh, the Catholics who are there who are fighting a really good fight, largely Catholic laity. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Now there are obviously some significant bishops there who are uh, playing important roles in this, mm-hmm. but again, I, I think we need to uh, recognize that group. Yeah, uh, that's a very good point, and I. I I always wondered uh, when I hear I've heard progressive theologians speak, and I always wonder what do they actually believe that we have a sure word from God? In other words, uh, one reason I'm an active Catholic today is because I actually believe that God has spoken; He's revealed Himself and that his will can be known mm-hmm. uh, through the teaching authority of the Catholic Church, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is tied directly, of course, to the teaching authority of Jesus. Yes. Uh, and, and I don't get, the, when I hear progressive theologians talk, there's this dance around the idea of revelation. Uh, there's a, there's a, a lack of confidence that we can actually, from the scriptures or from sacred tradition, that we can... Um, arrive at certain propositions which are true about the divine, true about what he expects of us, true about the human person and our destiny, our origin and our destiny. And so I just wonder, when push comes to shove, if you don't think God has spoken, don't you eventually just drift away? That well, yeah, I think uh, that's absolutely inevitable, uh, and we're seeing in playing out in Germany. But but this is true, as you note, uh, in theologates, uh, in Catholic universities, and elsewhere. This embrace of subjectivity of um, what certainly what Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, or I should say, more precisely, Joseph Ratzinger on the day that they walked into the conclave that elected him, mm-hmm. Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, warned about uh, this dictatorship of relativism. Right. right. And but what we're seeing is modernism. We are seeing, and this has been playing out now for several centuries. Yeah. Certainly, we can point fingers at at the, the Protestant Reformation that that unraveled so much of this. Mm-hmm. But then we get into, and you've talked about this many times with great experts on this show, but the, the impact of the Enlightenment, of Kant and others, the French Revolution, and then all of the great isms that followed. Yeah. But we're seeing that now really playing out here. And I, I think if you wanted to have a, a poster child for what that looks like lived in the church today, I would point exactly toward the German Sonata way, because this idea of subjectivity, it is the idea of embracing... And, and that, the word modernism itself, I think, catches that so nicely. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, we have to be modern. So we have to respond and embrace what the social sciences might teach us. Right. Even though social sciences 50 years ago said something different, and social sciences of 50 years before that said something different. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's, there's an uncertain foundation uh, that they're trying to build on. I mean, today is the feast of St. Polycarp, and you have to ask yourself, do do these progressive theologians, are they of, of a sort that would produce uh, the faith of a polycarp? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's a question to ask, in fact, and, and polycarp's a great example. We know that he, when he was arrested, uh, they brought him 
before the authorities and very famously uh, they told him that uh, he would be free to go without any problem if he simply declared Caesar as Lord. Yeah. Yep. And he refused. So they came back and they said, all right, well, what about if you just burn incense in the name of the emperor? <laughs> so, I mean, from their standpoint, look, we're trying to work we're with you here. We're working with you, man. <laughs> you know, give us something. We'll let you go. We yeah, throw us a bone here. But imagine, though, with this type of thinking, you could rationalize, well, Maybe I could. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it would be very easy to do so. Right. Unless you were confident that you were standing before Almighty God and that he knew <laughs> you and had paved, your, your life had been brought forward by his will. Yeah, I, I, I just think it'd be difficult. Uh, you'd have to, you'd always be questioning uh, whether this was God's will or not. Now, you know, right. Uh, but it's also why Pius X, in I think it was Pescendi Dominici Gregis, referred to modernism as, quote, the synthesis of all heresies. Yeah, yeah. Because it really, it, it, before our eyes, we're, we're seeing play out uh, in the German synodal way so many of the, the heresies and, and concerns and malformations and deformations of the faith that, that Pius X warned about that so many others have warned about. If you just look at the, what were the four pillars of the German Sonata Way, we've got the question of authority. We can come back to that in a second. The, the prospect of the ordination of women. We have refiguring or reimagining the whole priesthood. Yep. And beyond even just the idea of ending uh, celibacy for priests. And then uh, the, the biggest thing for them from the beginning has been uh, unraveling the church's teachings on human sexuality, in particular uh, her teachings on homosexuality. Right. And we hear from prelates. We, we've quotes like from Cardinal Jean-Claude Hollerich, who's the uh, relator general for the Synod, although he has emphasized repeatedly, to be fair to him, it's, he did not propose changing church teaching, but he has talked about, well, we have to look at social sciences and then rewrite, perhaps, the catechism. Yeah. That, that's a common refrain now. Yeah. In order to be more reflective of where society is today. And you just plug that into almost anything that Polycarp faced in pagan Roman culture. And you'll see that when it, it simply doesn't work. Right. No, and I, I'm grateful that we've got this pushback in Germany. The group... Is this a formal name that they have? A new yes. beginning? Okay. Yeah. So it's uh, it stands in such interesting contrast to uh, to my mind because here we have this group that is uh, really standing up uh, in the face of a lot of problems in the German church, but it again it stands in sharp contrast uh, to. The, the driving force in many ways of the Synodal Way in Germany of the so-called uh, Central Committee of German Catholics, the ZDK. Mm. And this is the group, for example, that uh, without, despite what the Vatican has asked for repeatedly, what Pope Francis has asked for, they've already approved, for example, back in last November, uh, the committee statutes for the formation of this Synodal Council that ostensibly would govern the church in Germany. And the next step was going to be the bishops themselves voting on these statutes. But that's where the Vatican, I think, finally reached a red line yeah. and said, no, yeah. you cannot do this, which brings us back to this 
the contrast is so sharp between the Central Committee of German Catholics and the, the faithful Catholics there in Neuer Anfang, but other people who have stood forward. You know, let's remember that Pope Francis sent a, a remarkable letter uh, to four of the German women who wrote him, right. expressing his concerns about that. So where this is going to play out, I think, is going to be the big question. Because it, it, as I mentioned, these four pillars of the Synodal Way, if we go back to what was at the heart of what the Synodal Council was being put forward to do, it is to govern the church, which cannot happen. It is sacramentally not possible, and it is ecclesiologically it's not possible right. for the bishops right. to surrender this type of authority. That's right. Yeah, they, they are part of the divine constitution of the church. You cannot resign your spiritual paternity um, <laughs> in the interest of democratizing doctrine. No, it won't right. happen. And there we go back again to this, uh, this the tenets of modernism of embracing this modern view. And, and I've read the, the documents from the Synodal Way that have been issued over the last years, and it is a, it's a masterwork, so to speak, of if you wanted to take social sciences, sociology, mm -hmm. uh, and modern conceptions of the human person, human sexuality, in, in, I would argue, in my opinion, the worst possible ways, yeah. it's all in these documents. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, hold it there, Matthew. We'll pick it up on the other side. I want to talk about uh, this Argentine nun who was remembered for her smile. She's now considered for sainthood. And again, you have to ask, what kind of faith produces saints? I'm Al Cresta. Be right back. Christ is the answer with Father John Ricardo. John chapter 11, verses 21 to 26. This is the story of Lazarus. Lazarus has died. Lazarus is one of his best friends. Just before this passage, we hear the news that Martha and Mary send word to Jesus that the one you love is sick. And the next line in the scripture is, now because Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was. His friend's in need. He can heal. They've seen him heal before. And yet somehow, because he loves him, he stays. And Lazarus dies. And then Jesus shows up three days later and is greeted by Martha and Mary, who confront him with the words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would never have died. Rather applicable for many of us in our lives. We ask the Lord to do one thing because we're certain it is what we think is best. When in fact, he has something which far surpasses what we ask for. The challenge is in waiting for that to happen, we go through very trying times, which oftentimes makes us wonder, does he really care? Does the fourth commandment only order us to honor our father and our mother? According to the Catholic Catechism, it also obliges us to give honor and respect to all whom for our good God has vested with his authority. Respecting the fourth commandment, says the Catechism, brings its own reward, not only with spiritual fruits, but temporal benefits of peace and prosperity whereas failure to observe the commandment brings harm to individuals and communities. We are reminded that marriage and the family is ordered to the good of the spouses and the procreation and education of children. The Catechism states a man and a woman united in marriage together with their children is what forms a family. 
God instituted the human family when he created man and woman and instructed them to increase and multiply. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. The Catechism defines evangelization as the proclamation of Christ and his gospel by word and the testimony of life in fulfillment of Christ's command. But what does that look like in real life? It looks like the St. Paul Evangelization volunteers out on the street, sharing the good news with people in a non-confrontational way, handing out free sacramentals, listening to them, praying for them, teaching them, planting seeds, and letting the Holy Spirit make them grow. Visit StreetEvangelization.com and learn more so you can get involved in real-life evangelization. Support for this Ave Maria radio program comes in part by the non-for-profit St. Anthony Services. Are you shopping for mortgage products, Catholic investing, Catholic health, real estate, or estate planning? StAnthonyServices.org can help you find a Catholic professional for these needs. They regularly connect faithful citizens with faith-based professionals that share our Christian values. More information at StAnthonyServices.org or 877-LIFE-US1. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US1. That's realestateforlife.org. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. With me is Dr. Matthew Bunsen. It's our weekly look at stories from around the globe having to do with the Catholic faith and the Church as an institution. And we have uh, Archbishop Sergio Fanoi, uh, not sure if that's the right pronunciation, of uh, Santa Fe de la Vera Cruz in Argentina, who signed the edict that has begun the process prior to the opening of the cause of canonization of Sister Cecilia Maria of the Holy Face, a Carmelite nun who died from cancer in 2016 at the age of 43. Uh, how much do we know about Sister Cecilia Maria of the Holy Face? Quite a bit, actually, and, and uh, I'm so glad you wanted to talk about this because uh, I used the word a couple of times in the last segment about contrast. Yes. Here we have a contrast uh, between sort of the, the negative, dour uh, outlook that seems to grip uh, so many of the advocates of the Synodal Way, and we have the joy of this Sister Cecilia Maria, uh, who died at the age of 43 from cancer. And I would encourage everyone to go to uh, catholicnewsagency.com. The title of the, the piece is Argentine Nun Remembered for Her Smile, and you can see her smile in death. Hmm. And it's not, it's, there's nothing macabre about this. It's, it's a face of joy 
And one of the things that uh, really sparked, I think, uh, the, the start of the cause for canonization uh, is everyone remembers her love and trust and her joy. Hmm. And you know, joy is one of the great signs of the Christian. Yes. And in that sense, I think she's a great role model. We, we see that consistently now, though, don't we, with the kind of joy. I think of Carlo Acutis, for example, yes. the young, young man who died. I think of um, uh, Chiara um, Badano, uh, another young woman who died. Uh, with joy, uh, everyone remembers them for their laughter, even in the face of such horrendous suffering. But it's not the kind of saccharine happiness uh, right. that some people love to claim that so they can dismiss the joy that we have. Right, right. No, this is, it, 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 I mean, I agree with you. Uh, I think joy is a hallmark of sanctity. And, it's, and again, it comes back to uh, a person who knows God and knows God's, um, knows their own origin and destiny um, because of who Christ is. And so they live that joy. And yeah. uh, and it's something that becomes a characteristic of them. I think of even uh, St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who, though she was without, uh, for lack of a better term, consolations for so long, uh, maintained that joyful spirit about her. So Yeah. Well, this young woman, uh, who I said, as I said died at the age of 43 in, in 2016, uh, was uh, from Argentina, of course, entered the Discalced Carmelites, and interestingly enough, received the name Cecilia Maria of the Holy Face, which, uh, it turns out, I think was kind of prophetic. Mm -hmm. But again, everyone remembered her for her happiness, her joy. Uh, she was very good at playing the violin, uh, always had a smile, diagnosed with tongue cancer really? that uh, soon metastasized, especially oh, what to the a lungs. Strange thing. Wow. And. What was funny was because it was difficult, I believe, for her to speak, obviously. But she wrote on a piece of paper as she knew that her death was coming. And forgive me for quoting it, but I was thinking, she wrote, about what I wanted my funeral to be like. First, a little intense prayer, and then a big party for everyone. Don't forget to pray, but don't forget to celebrate either. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great. And there's this, uh, as, as you know, one of the, the hallmarks uh, for determining whether a cause can get underway. We have evidence of sanctity. Well, I'm sure there will be investigations into whatever writing she had, although we don't know what there is of those, perhaps letters. But then also uh, helping us all to understand her life better and her times. But one of the things that you always have to look at when you're doing an investigation of the causes of saints is what is the legacy of this person? What did they leave behind? And is there this testimony of them that endures over yeah. the passage of time? Now, she's only been gone since 2016. Right, right. But it's very clear that she left uh, a legacy of joy and happiness and drew people to Christ because of that joy. And we'll have to see how the, the cause plays out over the next years. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think this is a great story. Yeah, I do too. And I, I love it because we, you know, we look at what's going on around the world, and oftentimes, you know, there's stories. I'm looking here, in fact, um, I got a story, a Father Rupnik story about an alleged victim speaking publicly for the first time. I've got another story about the Australian um, Bishop Emeritus of Broome, Australia, 
who apparently was uh, getting involved in uh, so-called bunga bunga parties, uh, which uh, took me a while to find out what those were. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. You're probably (laughs) regretting that you did. Well, (laughs) it is, it's, uh, it's, it's, think of, think of debauchery um, in the nude. And yes. you know what a bunga bunga party is. Yes, yeah, so it is uh, just the, the phrase itself is kind of self-explanatory, <laughs> but um, and, and not in any way to make light of it. That anyone who followed uh, Italian politics over the last oh, decade or so, Silvio Berlusconi had yeah. used the exact same phrase. Now, it's a phrase I know that dates back uh, the early 20th century, if not earlier, uh, and was not. I think it had an Australian connection, uh, but. Well, there's a there's a Looney Tunes there's a there's a Bugs Bunny Looney Tunes uh, uh, episode in which he meets uh, an Australian aboriginally aboriginal person uh, that, who's named I think Bushy Hair, and okay. <laughs> and it's it's just completely crazy and it, it you have screams coming from bushy hair and and Bugs Bunny matching those screams but with the with the words bunga bunga so right uh, yeah and and now we've got this this uh what is a a terrible story uh and so this phrase again has come into uh, sort of the public consciousness uh for the same reasons that it did with Berlusconi uh, in this case, I think you're talking about uh, Christopher yeah. Saunders, the, the Bishop Emeritus of Broome, uh, who was arrested and then charged uh, with rape and other charges. Um, now, it's notable that the one thing that uh, has to be said is that we are continuing to see what I would argue you know, is the effectiveness of Pope Francis' t- decree, Vos Estes Lux Mundi. Yeah, that's true. Which uh, I think this is the first of its kind of this type of an investigation in Australia. Uh, We go back to 2019 when the motu proprio on Bosestis was issued. And what it does is uh, establish various norms uh, for how to handle sexual abuse cases. But it was particularly focused on those who were in authority. Yeah. Because one of the questions that had emerged in the sex abuse crisis is, all right, how do bishops investigate other bishops? And in this case, the investigation at the decree of Pope Francis was uh, overseen by Archbishop Mark Coleridge uh, of the Archdiocese of Brisbane. Mm -hmm. And he issued a report, and that led to uh, these allegations that then led to, because the report was given to the Australian police, and that led one thing to the next. And here we are that the, I believe, detectives from the child abuse squad arrived and had an ongoing investigation into what is considered historic uh, abuses. But nevertheless, he's now been charged. So it, I'm not saying that this is a, a flawless system that's been installed because of Vosestes, but I think the, the mechanisms are there. And this is, uh, can be looked at as a, a situation where, yes, Vosestes can work when it's done right. Yeah. No, that's very good. Uh, the, the thing that frustrates me about these stories is that he was uh, he's 74 years old mm-hmm. uh, and apparently these are charges that go way back and you just wonder how he spent his entire ecclesial life um, uh, you know carrying on uh, right. and, and you just don't why this didn't why this didn't come forth earlier 
uh, I was told the police, I read somewhere, the police had, had investigated and uh, decided not to bring charges. And then it was Pope Francis who reopened the case. That's uh, right. Under ecclesial tribunal. And, uh, and that then led to uh, formal charges. So Right. And, and in this case, uh, a lot of these uh, allegations took place uh, between 2008 and 2014 uh, in different parts of uh, his diocese, because that also extended over uh, areas of the Aboriginal community. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is a, somebody who had been appointed bishop in 1996 and was... Uh, faced the allegations, I think, in 2020, yeah. and then stepped back and then resigned the next year, but he did so on uh, citing ill health. So, I mean, he's, he's one year ahead of what is the typical age for uh, resignations yeah. or, or retirement. So clearly there was a lot surrounding him, uh, but you're right. Uh, and, and this is one of the frustrations, too, over the years that uh, investigations will be done and sometimes... Uh, Either authorities will not press charges for whatever reason, or they at that point they couldn't get enough evidence, or there weren't enough people coming forward. And I think that's, again, where Vosestis, I think, has proven to be very helpful, because it does give at least the clear indication that those in authority, bishops, archbishops, and even cardinals, can and will be held accountable if allegations are made and they're proven to be true. Yeah. And in contrast, maybe uh, ask about the uh, the opening of the Rome Catechism uh, catacombs uh, for f- guided tours and moments of prayer and reflection uh, coming up. Yeah, uh, well, this is uh, I'm I'm always happy that uh, we are doing anything uh, that continues to shed light on the early church, but also uh, to celebrate. Uh, the, the the remarkable beauty, as long as it's done uh, in a way that is safe for to be out the catacombs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because there is always this great concern. It, it, I know you've done the Scavi tour, right? I did not because it was unco- it was because uh, of my uh, yeah wheelchair. Yeah. Understood. It, it was it wasn't able to be done, but my wa- my wife did. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a a great example. Uh, so those who may not be aware, these are the excavations of any St. Peter's Basilica. And they go to great lengths to limit how many tours can go down there, and everything is hermetically sealed to try to preserve the frescoes and other things that are in the tomb. And, and in this sense, uh, this is an exciting... We can pick this up, I know, yeah. uh, on the Roman catacombs. Uh, talking with Dr. Matthew Bunsen about stories from around the globe dealing with the Catholic faith and the Church as institution. Uh, talking about uh, Rome's catacombs, which will be open to the public for free guided tours. And moments of prayer and reflection on Saturday, March 2nd. It's part of the seventh edition of Day of the Catacombs. We'll talk more. Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria mutual funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. 
This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. That's realestateforlife.org. Ave Maria School of Law is the Roman Catholic law school in the United States. Consistently ranked in the Princeton Review as one of the best and most conservative law schools, as well as pre-law's most devout law school. Ave Maria School of Law provides a traditional legal education while emphasizing how the law intersects with the Catholic intellectual tradition and natural law philosophy. Ave Maria School of Law, unabashedly Catholic, consistently excellent. For more information, visit AveMariaLaw.edu. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. So many people call themselves Christian, call themselves Catholic, call themselves Evangelical, whatever, and they're nothing more than members of the Church of what's happening now, as Flip Wilson used to say. You want direction, you want guidance, go to the source. Go to Jesus, go to Scripture, go to the Church teachings. Not to Whoopi Goldberg, not to, and we pray for her, but Nancy Pelosi's version of Catholicism or Joe Biden's version of Catholicism or any other politician that holds fast to their quote-unquote Catholic faith, yet consistently, consistently and blatantly not just speaks against the church, but acts against the church. We need to pray for these people, and we need to encourage bishops to stand up for the truth and not be afraid. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern, on EWTN Radio. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popcha. Did you know everything about Catholic family life is a prayer? Because of sacramental grace, when families do all the normal things we already do, but do them with the intention of sharing Christ's love with each other, we're praying. When you hug your kids, hold them an extra second and give them a hug from God, too. When you make a meal, ask the Blessed Mother to help you make it in the same spirit she served her son. When you discipline your kids, take a moment to pray together and ask God to help you learn to take even better care of each other. Inviting God's grace into everything we do is how normal, messy families become real domestic churches. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. I'm with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Let me, before we get back to our conversation, let me mention the Fierce Athlete Podcast. This features female athletes being raw and real about the joys and struggles of life, both on and off the field. 
and how their faith heals wounds, reveals true beauty. And you can hear the Fierce Athletes as well as Faithful Podcasts from our friends and affiliates around the world all in one place now, uh, all free at EWTN Podcast Central. And you can visit this at EWTN.com slash radio and click on Podcast Central today. Uh, so it's just a nice new development that we see at EWTN. I'm with Dr. Matthew Bunsen, uh, and we've been, <clears throat> been looking at stories from around the, the globe. We uh, closed off last segment uh, talking about the uh, catacombs uh, in Rome, uh, a press release circulated by the Pontifical Commission for Sacred Archaeology points out that um, we are having on Saturday, March 2nd, um, an open, uh, open cat, Rome's catacombs will be open for free guided tours and moments of prayer and reflection. Uh, this is part of the seventh edition of Day of the Catacombs. What does that mean? Well, yeah, what it means is that uh, these are days that are set aside to allow uh, free guided tours. Uh, but it's not just a guided tour. It's also moments, as they say, of prayer and reflection. Mm -hmm. And this has been going on for, as, as they note, uh, seventh editions of this. Okay. In, in a similar way, too, that... Um, how, how often, though? I thought it was annual. Okay. Okay. And this one has uh, particular interest because it, it falls within the year of prayer that uh, Pope Francis has asked for in preparation for the next year the 2025 jubilee mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so there's an opportunity then to focus on the the origins the early life of the church but to do so in a in a way that's very prayerful uh, and what's interesting about this is that uh, as the pontifical commission that's in charge of all of this says that uh, as they notice, is evocative memory directly perceived and experienced cannot fail to arouse profound reflection and therefore for believers prayer. As we think about what went on in terms of the, the, the catacombs, but also in this particular one, uh, it's on the Via Salaria, uh, which is uh, one of the main, very famous area in Rome. And I believe that this one is going to be held in the, the catacomb of Priscilla, and Rome has a, a number of very prominent catacombs. And why, why are they named like the Catacomb of Priscilla or the Catacomb of St. Agnes? Well, in part because uh, you have relics that were often Associated left there. Yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. Uh, or, uh, in some cases, you'll have uh, property that it was, that people who owned it, or there are some direct connections uh, to these names and to... Um, monasteries that took place there so okay. it there's a, a beautiful and, and very ancient connection to some of these names nice well um do you have any idea how well attended these events are uh, i've uh, my understanding is that they are very well attended because uh it, it reminds me in some ways of uh the vatican museum which will open its doors uh at night or on, on holidays and other things uh free of charge for people to to go in there is this longing, there is this fascination uh, with the ancient world, but also with, uh, what's that phrase, it's the truth and beauty. Yeah. And in this case, it isn't, it, it's an underground uh, catacomb. And when you go down, you can see uh, art of pieces from the Old Testament, from the New Testament. And 
what is part of it is to be able to walk these same roads oftentimes underneath the ground mm -hmm. where the early Christians walked. But then there are also uh, some connections uh, with great saints. Um, and, for example, we, we know that St. Philip Neri, St. Jerome, and others mm. loved these places as well. Okay. So we're not just walking in the footsteps of early Christians. We're also walking in the footsteps of great saints. Ah, interesting. Yeah, and you hope that there is some sort of spiritual leakage that uh, you can pick up there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, here, here's a story that's bound to uh, raise curious questions. Four Catholic bishops uh, made headlines recently after it was learned that they had met with members of organized crime in the Mexican state of, I think it's Guerrero, um, what do you know about this? Yeah, this is um, one of those stories, I think, that uh, was some perhaps misunderstood when, uh, it, when it was first reported in a few different directions. And you're absolutely right. Essentially, we have uh, the Bishop of uh, Chilampanchingo, Chilapa, uh, and uh, various other bishops around him uh, from Talapa, from Ciudad Altamirano, uh, what they wanted to do was to figure out a way where local officials or the government itself had failed uh, to try to find some way to bring about peace in the region. And the, the point of it is, it's, it's a kind of indictment uh, of the failure of Mexican authorities, yeah. in particular the Mexican government, to deal with organized crime. Uh, but it, is, it has gotten so out of hand that, uh, as, as one of the bishops pointed out, you, you cannot remain indifferent uh, to the suffering of the community. And because so many of the parish priests are in frequent, almost con constant contact or encountering uh, the suffering of the population, that these bishops felt moved to try to figure out a way, is there some path uh, to ending this? If you want an example, in, in previous years, I, I think of the bishops and priests in the, the, the era after, and I'm not trying to make a parallel here, but the fall of the Roman Empire, especially in the West, yep. that in the absence of government, these bishops and these pastors had to come forward and deal with the reality that was in front of them. Yep. And that often meant assuming these positions of either as, as peace brokers or, or people who are trying to find a way forward for an end mm -hmm. to the violence. Yeah, this is, this is a shame when civil, civil authorities um, break down like this and the church is forced um, to, begin, to try to make peace between you know, warring gangs or I'm not exactly certain these, who these... Uh, uh, these uh, organized crime bosses were mm -hmm. right. I don't know how influential they are, uh, but I mean, what 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 would one expect a bishop to do um, if the civil authorities have have lost their capacity to limit human suffering and to limit evil? Uh, you, you've got to step in and do what you can. Yeah, uh, and the uh, the region in which all of this is happening, Guerrero. Um, has been termed 
in various uh, media reporting as a, a failed state. It, it's a failed region, in, in part because it is so awash uh, with drugs and violence. Uh, so, for example, opium, you've got heroin, uh, you've got uh, fentanyl. All of this uh, is present in this part of Mexico. And I think the, the, the numbers, from remembering the numbers, there were almost 1,400 homicides uh, just in the area. Mm. And the vast majority of those were carried out with weapon, you know, firearms and that sort of thing. So it gives you an idea of the scale of the violence, but it's also just the suffering of people. Uh, it, and the bishops simply could not stand by in the face and the absence of the authorities doing something about it. Now, the issue becomes, is there, are there going to be real results coming from this? And, and uh, I think there's not a lot of optimism there, yeah. but at least it was worth trying. Yeah, yeah, the, you've got to act and leave the, leave the outcomes sometimes to just providence. Yeah. Um, this, Father Raymond D'Souza, uh, done some interesting commentaries recently, and one of them has to do, um, actually, I'm going to switch gears. I was going to go with this story, but I look at the clock. We've got only four minutes left. And I wanted to talk about Poland. Uh, we talked about Poland in one of our recent get-togethers. But there's been a change of political authority there in Poland. The right-wing, as they call it, the right-wing Law and Justice Party, uh, has ended its eight-year um, governance. And you've got uh, a different coalition uh, that tends to be more secularized. And there are people who are wondering what happened. Given the, the faith of the Polish people, they understand that they are fundamentally a Catholic people. Uh, how did they end up uh, electing or permitting there to be a parliamentary majority uh, yes. of largely secularists. Well, you, you've hit the, the, the exactly most important term here, and that is parliamentary parliamentary majority. Yeah. So it is uh, a matter of electoral fact uh, that the longtime uh, Law and Justice Party, which has been, I would say, defamed and mocked and ridiculed and misrepresented by many in the mainstream Western secular press, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as nationalist and racist and everything else, lost, despite the fact that it actually remains the, the country's largest political party, and won 35% of the vote in elections back in October. However, it lost the majority in the parliament to what was a coalition of leftist and center, even center-right parties that saw an opportunity to unseat it and then to have a seat at the table, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And that ushered in uh, a new government. And it, let's just say that um, President Donald Tusk, that's Tusk, not Trump, <laughs> <laughs> President Donald Tusk, or Tusk, uh, was sworn in. Uh, he is a former European Council president. So that tells us something mm -hmm. in terms of his, both his politics and his vision. So this is a, a government now that is moving very swiftly in an almost shock and awe fashion uh, to introduce massive westernization, massive uh, secularization, uh, and 
I would encourage everyone to go to ncregister.com and read a fantastic piece by Solen Tadier, uh, the European correspondent, on this very issue. Because the questions now being asked is, that, is all of this going to lead to the kind of unraveling of Polish Catholic culture? Poland has been a mainstay uh, for decades, especially since the fall of the, the Soviet Union, uh, in preserving Catholic culture. And now the question is, in the light of what's un unraveling there, unfolding, uh, will that be maintained? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I was surprised. Uh, Tusk is a self-professed Catholic, but he called for the removal of all crucifixes and other religious symbols from public places. It's almost as though they have a French understanding <laughs> of the separation of church and state. Uh, and I, I just... The Polish people, I, I thought, would react to that kind of heavy-handedness. Yeah, I, I think that uh, there was surprise when it first began, uh, and then uh, Tusk moved quickly to silence a lot of his opponents, uh, television, radio, and in the press. Mm. So we'll have to see what unfolds there. Matthew, thank you once again. It was great. Covered a lot of ground. We did. <laughs> a privilege. <laughs> All right. Blessed land. Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Uh, again, you can hear him on the registered radio, Saturdays at 4 p.m., Sundays at 11 a.m. I'm Al Cresto. The following program is brought to you in part by MyCatholicWill.com. Surveys show that more than half of Americans do not have a will. At MyCatholicWill.com, it takes as little as 15 minutes to write your will and secure a legacy of faith. MyCatholicWill.com is the exclusive online destination for creating a Catholic will. The process of writing a will is simple and now more accessible than ever. MyCatholicWill.com, a legacy of faith for those you love. Ave Maria Radio invites you to feast on the joy of fasting this Lenten season and all year long. Fast from hostility. Feast on peace. Fast from bitterness. Feast on forgiveness. Fast from self-concern. Feast on compassion for others. Fasting is a part of true Christian life. It liberates us from this world as we grow closer to Christ. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Maybe you've been hearing a lot about the need to make a spiritual communion while participating from home in a live-streamed or broadcast Mass. There's more to it than reciting the act of spiritual communion. We should begin by having sincere repentance for our sins and affirming our belief that Christ's death redeemed us. Next, we call to mind the spiritual gifts found in Christ's sacrifice and thank God earnestly for them. Now we are disposed to pray the traditional prayer of spiritual communion. Jesus, I embrace you and unite myself wholly to you. Today I'm Al Cresta. Thank you for being with me. And I want to say that our friends in Central Texas need to hear from you next week. Armor of God Catholic Radio is airing their spring pledge drive uh, through the week. 
So if you're listening to either of their stations serving Kepner, Cameron, and Temple, Texas, or anywhere, please support Armor of God Catholic Radio, your local EWTN affiliate. And thank you again for being with me. Uh, and you can follow up on the conversations I had with Matthew Bunsen. We have plenty of those available in the Crested Guest Archives. Also, uh, Hans and Sophie Scholl and the uh, White Rose Movement um, that we discussed earlier will have great articles related to the, uh, the White Rose. And then uh, in my conversation with Paul Shrimpton, and we also talk about Galileo's theological contributions. We have two outstanding articles there in the Crested Guest Archive. So thanks so much. Have a wonderful weekend. And I look forward, Lord willing, to being with you on Monday for another edition of Crested in the Afternoon. Crested in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. To follow up on any of the guests or information presented on today's program, visit the Cresta Guest Archive at AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-M-A-R-I-A, radio.net. To listen to this or any other edition of Cresta in the Afternoon, visit the audio archives at AveMariaRadio.net. Or to order a CD of the program, call 734-930-4506 or email orders at AveMariaRadio.net. That's 734-930-4506 or orders at AveMariaRadio.net.